Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to another episode of Schaefer's Market Mashup. It is Tuesday, February 14th, Valentine's Day. Please welcome Joe Hargett, Schaefer's new senior research analyst. Uh, you can formally found him on greatstufftoday.com. Uh, I'm very excited for today because I this is the least amount of guide I've ever put together, uh, but I think it's going to work because... I feel like you can pretty much talk about everything. So, Joe, it's great to have you on. Uh, introduce yourself here for a little bit, and then we'll get into it. Hey, uh, nice to be on. Nice to be at Schaefer's, or back at Schaefer's, as I should say. Um, I actually got my career started in finance at Schaefer's Investment Research. Really wonderful foundation for learning the market and figuring out how to trade for everybody out there. Uh, it launched me into... Jeez, when I mean, when you start off with options, where else is there to go? Mm-hmm. <laughs> you you kind of end up in there. And um, I've I've been on Forbes, Investor Place. My latest stint, as you mentioned, was at GreatStuffToday.com. Uh, run through Banyan Hill. Um, that was quite an experience. Uh, if you want to start off there, where would you like to start off? Let me not talk all day long and let you jump in here a little. <laughs> well. Um, damn, I, I usually love just sitting back and listening, but uh, how about, you know, what, what I think is interesting is you have a lot of editorial background. When you're at Schaefer's, you um, you basically did what I did, or yep. you, did, you, you did what I do right now, and you, you were involved in the digital content side. I know it was called editorial back then. Yep. So walk me through how you've managed to thread the needle between writing and being, you know, a research analyst because look, I'm a pretty damn good writer. I couldn't trade worth shit. Yeah. So, the fact that you can balance both, I think that's that there, there is some useful information that a retail investor can unpack out of that. Well, uh, interestingly enough, I didn't go into finance in college. I went into computer science and then they wanted me to do 6 years of cat or 5 year four years of calculus. I did end up going to college for six years, but that was because I switched majors because they wanted me to do four years of calc and I got through two and went, no. No, thank you. Ended up an English major, got out. uh, Jocelyn Drake, who was um, um, in the editorial department at Schaefer's for a while, eventually became manager of that department, hired me in, said, we can teach you the market, but we can't teach you to write. I could already write. Get in, start copying people, learning the market. And um, eventually learned how to trade from Schaefer's just using their indicators, the swore, the sentiment. Um, it, it all just made so much sense. And I just have this inquisitive nature, which is why writing works for me. I get to write about multiple topics, or at least that's where I thought I was going to be. And ended up writing about the market and found out I could write about all of those topics in this one role, in this one writing about the stock market, you can write about anything from oil to dirt to solar panels, semiconductor. I mean, if you pick a topic, you can write on it in this in this field. It's just wonderful. And then my, my, my curiosity led me down so many rabbit holes and trading options and all of that that I had to try to figure that out. So every time I get interested in something, I drill down hard on it and um, got to hone some of those skills outside of Schaefer's with trading and whatnot. But yeah, um, it, it, I, I just, I got lucky. I, I have this really curious nature. I, I 
don't leave well enough alone. I dig in beyond what they tell me not to look at and figure out what I need to get to to make money off of trading this or about writing about that. So it's it's been quite a ride. I haven't told this story in a while, and I feel like it will resonate well with you. Um, I took microeconomics at the uh, at the small liberal arts college that I went to, and uh, I failed it. <laughs> I I was awful. I was clueless. I was lost. I had poor study habits. All of the above. And I now I retook it the semester later. Got a B minus, but that was the running shtick during kind of my formative years here at Schaefer's is my my two bosses told me essentially, hey, like you said, figure out the math and the terminology. If you can write and edit, that's where what all that matters. I I've now been writing, you know, biweekly columns and I love the research aspect of, like you said, whatever is interesting you across you know I, I will just hop on twitter and say like what's trending okay let's write about ai let's write about wheat prices let's write about eggs let's it, it, it you can always tie it back to the stock market and so as someone who is relatively new five or six years ago that's what really pulled me in is that th- this has real life implications yeah if you if you got to the point where you're walking down the street say like at a strip mall or somewhere or out shopping and you start seeing tickers instead of store names that that was mm-hmm. like I realize I've got a problem now. I'm I'm so mm-hmm. far into the stock market that I don't see Starbucks anymore. I see SBUX, and I'm like, I wonder what they're doing today. And I don't mean making coffee. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, uh, one of my party tricks is tickers. Uh, it, it's it's been useful here and there in 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 like bar trivia, but I that has been like the most fun thing to me is just looking at something and say like, what's the ticker? Um, and, and I, I'm, I'm, I've gotten pretty good at it, but it's, it's funny because as you know, at Schaefer's, we have like, you know, certain stocks that we cover a lot, Yep. but then there are some that we don't really hit. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so I will swing and miss on a couple. They're like, oh, well, what's, uh, what's Adidas? I'm like, uh, yeah, yeah, you got me there. So yeah, we, we tend to focus really heavily on options trading, and your set of stocks for that is quite a bit different than if you're regularly investing. Like, a Google is a really good example. Um, mm-hmm. Google is a massive company. It's owned by pretty much every ETF out there worth its salt. Uh, hedge funds own it. Institutional investors own it. Warren Buffett, I, I'm, I would assume he owns it. I don't know mm-hmm. firsthand, but it's it's that level of ownership. And when you see stocks like that that are that heavily owned, they don't move around enough. There's so much already priced into the stock that those are almost priced to perfection. So you're not going to get a good options move out of that. You're not going to find that disparity between the strikes that you're looking for to make that profit. This is one of those that you, if you were going to do options, you're selling puts, you're selling calls, you're making minor, you're hedging your stock positions. Whereas opposed mm-hmm. to stocks like, I don't know, AMD or some of the um, uh, front-end tech stocks, the the high-end tech stock, the um, ones that came up in the past couple of years, Zoom's a good example. Those are great volatile stocks that you want to trade options on because the stock moves all over the place. You're going to drive yourself nuts holding that in your portfolio if you're long-term investing. So you might as well start trading options on it. And with the implied volatilities and the spreads, you can make money doing that. So you're going to look at a completely different set of stocks that way. Mm-hmm. And that was one of the fun things that 
Because when I first worked at Schaefer's, I was dialed in on those. And then I get outside and we're doing regular or stock trading and regular investment advice and wealth management. And I'm like, yeah, I can't touch those stocks for this. They move too much. They're going to drive readers crazy. They're going to drive investors crazy. They, you just can't sit on stuff like that unless you've got, you know, unless you've got that risk tolerance. You know, obviously, when you're at Schaefer's, you, you are... Our contrarian philosophy is impacting a lot of uh, the expectational analysis that we do. Did you find that there was that was applicable just with kind of basically buying and selling outright? Or I found that sentiment analysis is actually more applicable to, in in my opinion. Now I'm probably going to get crucified by hardcore market wonks and whatnot for this, but sentiment analysis to me is the market. I mean, mm-hmm. if, if you look at the stock market and you buy a stock based on the valuation of that company, you're, what are you paying? Unless it's paying a dividend, unless you have that formula worked out, what is that stock doing for you? It's sitting there. Granted, it's accumulating value, but you're only going to get out of it what somebody else wants to pay you for it. And they've done their own research on what they think it's worth. So you, you get into this very sentiment. It's, it's, you're going to find a different worth from different people because of how they look at the market. Every bit of that is investor sentiment. Every bit of that is opinion. It's not drilled down to the hardcore numbers. So yeah, you can get a good idea of where a stock should be, what it should be worth, where you think it might trend based on its financials, based on, um, the more traditional models of investing. But, Ultimately, what's moving that stock is investor sentiment because it's those people looking at those figures and then forming an opinion on what they think it's worth. And a lot of that is outside of mathematical models, outside of what it should be. It's We like to talk about a perfectly priced market, but I think the past couple of years have proved that's not true. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so you have to use sentiment analysis to uh, – otherwise, you're, you're – I mean – if you're solely investing on on earnings and on on fu- fundamentals, and then you see a company come out in their earnings report, they crush earnings, they crush revenue, their margins improved, they have cash on hand, everything looks great, and then they guide in line. They say, "Okay, we're going to meet your expectations for the next quarter," and then the stock falls. In a perfect world, if that stock is priced how it should be, it doesn't go anywhere. It stays right where it's at. Why does it fall? It falls because people were expecting more and it already priced those expectations into the price of the stock. So it falls to meet expectations because it wasn't priced perfectly. I mean, if you're not doing sentiment analysis, you're doing yourself a disservice in your portfolio. Very well said. Yeah, I I look at it and man, I uh, 10 minutes and I I'm already making a golf analogy, but the stock market is not a wide open golf course. You know, there are, there's water, there's bunkers, there's trees, there's different lies. And so, you know, sentiment analysis helps you navigate those areas because you can't just hit it straight and expect it to go up. Yep. I might have to workshop that metaphor, uh, but having, you know, sampled some of your writing, it's, you, you, you thread that needle between kind of irreverent, but also knowledgeable. And it's that's that's so I think necessary in, in an industry that is potentially dry. Oh, oh you know, yeah. as as far as the writing, and, and I'm being, you know, I'm kind of dancing around that there. But how, how would you say, like, what, what 
what has helped you develop that tone and where do you think like the overall financial literacy can go? Because I think it is getting better with social media and all these different platforms that people can kind of learn in in their own style. But what what's next? Well, when I came in, I don't want to knock shavers. I love working for the company. But when I came in, I was copying other people. I was copying what everybody else wrote, not copying directly, but you know, you're, you're like modeling writing styles. And it was a very prim and proper, very stuffy, uh, for English lit mate. It's like writing in old English or Shakespeare. It's very prim, very proper, uh, very Jane Eyre type. So, mm. and, 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 it, and it gives you that because you think if I'm investing, it should be way up here. It should be very knowledgeable. I shouldn't be going after the jokes or after this. It should be serious business. And while it is still serious business, you can have serious business, but if you don't understand what you're reading, you're not going to be very good at investing. And people who have money either know what they're doing or they pay people to know what they're doing. It, what, what dawned on me is in, in like 2019, 2018, is that there was a slow building pressure of retail investors who were hitting message boards, who were hitting this, and they weren't doing the usual Wall Street Journal stuff. They weren't hitting up CNBC. They weren't hitting up MarketWatch or Barron's even. They were hitting up bulletin boards, and they were making memes about stocks, and they were joking about it. And there were people who were like, I didn't understand this when Warren Buffett explained it in technical terms, but when you put that meme up there, it made perfect sense. Now it clicks, and I'm like, there's a whole market out there of people who aren't, I don't want to say financially literate. They're very financially literate. They just don't understand the terms that Wall Street talks in. And if you can take what Wall Street talks in and put it in layman's terms, then you then you bring in a whole new group of people to your readership, to your investing services, to your hedge fund, wherever you're trying to bring them into. And if you want to take that one step further, I think I may have taken it a bit too far with greatstufftoday.com. I, that that series that ran for three and a half years, almost four years, and the whole point was using memes, song lyrics, and pop culture references to explain the stock market to you. And I didn't know if it would work. My boss didn't know if it worked at the time, but he let me run with it, and it built into something that I haven't, I don't think I've seen anywhere else in the market. I don't want to toot my own horn too much, but I, I don't think I've seen anybody else use Turn the Page by Metallica to, to do a retcon on a trade that went wrong. So mm. that is such a good, that is such a good cover. And, and look, I love Bob Seger. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Um, that's why, it, that's why I did the Metallica. I like the Bob Seger version, but when the, I grew up on the Metallica stuff, I grew up on the yeah. big hair and then into the 90s grunge. So Edge for me, then Bob Seger. So, oh yeah, my older brother uh, gave me a Ride the Lightning t shirt back when I was a kid. Uh, nice. So, uh, but it's also funny because the, the running joke is, you know, my brother's a big Metallica person. My mom dated Bob Seger briefly back in college. <laughs> So there's a little bit of war for the turn the page in the Martin household. But but what you're saying, I think, does tie back into sentiment where people want an emotional connection to what they're reading. Mm -hmm. That's why the Internet is here. That's why there is social media. You know, we, we are constantly looking for something to connect with and resonate with. And like you said, we don't have this, you know, we don't use the jargon that the 
big wig, big wigs, whatever, however you want to classify them, use, you know, it, you almost have to write it in layman's terms. But I don't mean layman's in like a, oh, you're dumb and poor. Oh, I mean, yeah. like, you know, how would you talk to someone at a coffee shop? How would you talk to someone at a bar? How would you talk to someone like over, a, you know, over dinner? Yep. And that has I more has a, that has a chance of reaching people at an emotional level more. So when you <clears throat> when you package that with actual uh, digestible information, I think it really does have a chance to be a huge hit. Like like you said, and and one of the important things, it, it, like you said, it's not the dumbing. It's not calling people stupid. It's not saying Mm-mm, any no. of those things. What it is. Is if you went, let's say you went out at a bar, had a drink with somebody, and they're asking you about, hey, what do you do? You invest in the stock market for a living. Well, how do you explain that? You aren't going to sit there with somebody you're trying to be friends with and talk like the Wall Street Journal writes. It's not going to happen. Nobody talks like that. So mm-hmm. you're going to talk like we are right now. And a lot of my writing has is, is morphed into... Um, imagining talking directly to the other person on the side of the ex- on the other side of the screen in ways that I would talk to you right now and write it that way so that it comes off more natural it comes off more personable it comes off more I'm interested in you I'm talking with you we're having a conversation and I think sometimes I even in italics would answer myself just to continue mm-hmm. to simulate that conversation so that it felt more approachable so that we were together lifting up instead of me preaching at you and telling you what to do, which sometimes works, sometimes builds resentment. If you're right all the time and you talk like that, you're going to get a decent following. The moment you mess up, somebody's going to go, not so high and mighty now, are you? Mm-hmm. It's just, it, it's it's a con, because they're, they're going to do that anyway. So you, you need to have that rapport. You need to have that conversation. And this just helps people learn so much faster that way. The Big Short, one of my favorite movies, and I and, and I, I watched that movie even before I started working at Schaefer's. So, but that was very again formative in my development when I first started here. That quote that Ryan Gosling said, um, where I, and I've got it pulled up here. Uh, Wall Street loves to use confusing terms to make you think only they can do what they do, or even better, just to leave them the fuck alone. Yep. And there, there can be a little bit of like you said, talking down in demeaning where it's like, oh, well, obviously it's this, this, and this. And then when you see this, you just have to do that. And many people will look at that and just say, um, okay, like it's, it, it, it's not that complicated. You know, nope, you, it, can, it can be untangled and it just takes a little bit of effort, you know, go a little, little extra yard of saying like, okay, well, let me find, frame this in a way that you can understand it. Yep. No, it's 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 a little bit of like the country club ask, you know, the exclusiveness of it all that I think well one I commend you for trying to cut through the noise and two I think that's something that is going to attract a whole new type of trader here in the next 5 to 10 years that initially got started with the meme yep. stocks. Maybe they're a little they're in the red now possibly because there does have to be some some analysis like you said there has to be some yeah. kind of you can't just go behind willy-nilly like a uh, certain subreddit does and i mean the most of the people on that particular subreddit have money 
the ones mm-hmm. who are who established it, who are basically running at the big dogs over there, they have money. They're betting what they can afford to lose. And sometimes what they can afford to lose is a lot more money than some of the other people who have gravitated to that area make in a year. And mm-hmm. they can afford to lose. So you, you, you can have fun if you've got money to burn. We all go to Vegas. We all do crazy things here and there. You can treat Wall Street the same way. You can not do your research you can yolo you can meme stock you can do what you want eventually it's going to bite you soon you you may hit one big one and be yeah i'm set and now i'm gonna go bet on everything else and lose it all the next hand if you don't do Mm -hmm. your research you don't know what your risk tolerance is if you don't know what you've got to lose if you don't know how to buy a put or a call you probably should not just should not so right Right. And I've never been to Vegas, but, and I've used this phrase a lot today, but threading the needle, it can be fun and informative. It doesn't have to be just informative and it shouldn't be all just fun, but that needle is, it's hard to thread, but when you do, that's, that's the good stuff. I think Wall Street would be better off as a whole if it not not went full on, let's be casual about everything, but if they embraced mm-hmm. that casual aspect of the investing public and not derided them like they do with retail investors. they they If you look around enough, you read enough, you realize that they get looked down on a lot. Every market cycle, you're like, oh, the smart money's already up, but the retail investors are still buying. Why are they still buying? They're making money. I mean, <laughs> but... Yeah, and, and, and they get look, you've got to reach out to that crowd. And on top of that, um, I don't know how but we have an aging population. Sooner or later, you're going to have to speak to a generation that grew up talking memes, watching SpongeBob. And outside of that, I mean, I don't know how big Gen X is that I'm a member of. We may or may not be involved. You don't hear from us much. It's the millennials and Gen Z that you hear about, and they aren't going to respond to the same types of research the same types of information than everybody else is. So if you want to reach those audiences, you're going to have to adjust how you write sooner or later. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Very well said. Let's pivot a little bit. And what are you watching? What are you monitoring right now in the investing world? What's what's caught your eye? You can go as you can be as specific as you want. You can be as broad as you want. I'll, I'll give you the floor there. Let's do the whole pyramid aspect let's start at the broader end and then work our way down to exactly what i'm because it gives you a little bit of perspective so cool we're we're in a market right now that is basically walking a tightrope it really wants to go higher it really wants to rally you have all these people out there with money to burn they want to invest but they're afraid even though you hear a lot of oh we're going to get the soft landing the soft landing's coming everything's going to be fine but there's this nagging aspect in the back of everybody's minds that maybe it's not quite fine. Even though all the data shows that everything should be fine, there's this little nagging thing that at any moment somebody could pull the rug out from underneath of you. And and that's it, it's very it's a very tense, very nervous situation. So instead of picking a direction the market has since the beginning of the year, it, it felt feels like it's gone up. But if you look at charts, you can see it has bounced around a lot. I mean, the overall progress has been slightly higher. I think the S and P is up what maybe five six percent this year. Um, after last week's decline, it, it, it impacted that. But you see a whole lot of one percent moves, one and a half two percent moves on the daily, and we're just bouncing all over the place, but not going anywhere. So. 
what I have what I have started doing and what I look at in the market now is I wait for those moves. I wait for those extreme moves. Like you'll see, uh, who is it? Um, uh, Char- no, was it? it was Nordstrom the other day where um, Cohen bought revealed he'd bought shares in Nordstrom and was holding. Yeah. And, and the stock Look. popped 10% in one day. And I'm like, there are no fundamentals. We're in a very nervous market. Some people are going to take profits here. Short mm-hmm. the stock at that level. It pulled back. It's probably pulling back today. I haven't checked the market in the past hour, but um, it was pulling back yesterday. It was a great reversal move. The same thing on the other end. If you see stocks that are getting hammered 10, 12% down and you look at their reports and go, this doesn't look that bad. They just guided slightly lower. Everything else was above board. That's that's that nervousness that there is going to be a recession settling in, and some of those are indicating, so the stock will sell off. And a lot of investors will come back in later and realize that wasn't that bad a report, and the stock will rebound off of that. So I'm, I'm doing momentum reversal plays mostly because that's what the market's giving me. It's, it's what it's giving everybody. I, I've seen... Um, a lot of our traders in in the trading department do similar things. Now, I don't think we would call it they would call it that because they we're all look at different things. But when you see it, you see that either continuation on a momentum trade or a reversal momentum trade, and those have been very uh, very profitable so far this year. Yeah, contrarian. Yep, you you catch yep. them at the end. It's what's this thing that Bernie uses? Uh, sentiment is right through the middle, but wrong at both ends. Yep. So when you mm-hmm. get extremes, the trend is your friend. But if you're trading, if you're buying a stock or trading an option on a stock that's been in a strong rally and everybody loves that thing, the second a bad news, a little bit of bad news comes out that makes everybody question that rosy outlook, that stock's pulling back and people are taking profits. So mm-hmm. that's that's where you move in. Those are the opportunities we're looking for right now, or at least I'm looking for right now. Nice, nice. Well, um. Yeah, I mean, anything else? And we're, we're, I'm about ready to wrap it up. But if you got anything, you know, closing thoughts and you know, any mic drop moments here you want to throw in? Uh, I didn't. I didn't work up any mic drop moments. It's pretty much. I don't think this is a mic drop market. I, I have. Well, if you, but at at the same time, that might be a mic drop moment. Is saying it's not a mic drop market. It it may very well be. And the moment we hit, the moment that mic drops, we'll pick a direction and we'll be off to the races. Either buying puts and shorting or if we're lucky and we do get that nice soft landing for the economy and in the stock market we'll be off to the races on the upside and then we'll all be happy mm-hmm. that's awesome well joe i uh, i hope you had fun because you're going to be coming on here a lot more I, I you know it can't wait to have you on we can really dive into some deep stuff talk a little more you know metallica maybe and and, and really take this where Everyone's learning, everybody's having fun, and everybody's hopefully making some money. Yep. Maybe we could shoot in the afternoon sometime so we can sit bourbon and talk about the market. Ooh, don't tempt me. Pre-11 o'clock seems way too early, duh. This is is my earliest podcast. I will will just say that. Um, uh, But no, thanks again for coming on, and we'll, uh, we'll talk to you soon. Good being here. Look forward to it. 